Welcome to Service Sharp. This is a podcast all about service now. We'll be talking strategy, architecture, technology, and everything service now. This podcast is not affiliated with service now. The opinions expressed are our own. We're just people that are very passionate about the platform. Join us for every episode. All right, welcome back. This is Jason Gibson with Service Sharp. Today we have uh, Jeffrey, and I'm sorry if I pronounced this wrong, but I'm going to try and get this. Jeffrey Tifertella, right? Yes, sir. He is with us. Uh, and and uh, Jeffrey, if you'll introduce yourself a little bit and tell us uh, kind of a little bit about yourself. Thank you, Jason. Thank you all for having me. Uh, Jeffrey Tifertella, I worked at, I've been in the ITSM field for 25, 28 years. Mostly on the oversight, cleanup mess kind of stuff. I, January, I left KPMG. I was in on their internal side, started up my own consulting company. And so uh, I enjoy, I'm looking forward to this conversation. So some people know me because I have a YouTube channel. I'm fairly active on LinkedIn. That's where Randy and I met. And so here we are. Awesome. Very cool. <laughs> So, uh, also, of course, we have Randy um, and Justin with me and uh, Brent, kind of our, our regular crew here. Uh, but we also have Kathy here, which has been gracious enough to join us with her presence once again. So, thank you, Kathy, for, for joining us. Uh, <clears throat> today, we're going to be talking about what happens if we inherit a, uh, a CMDB that is in disarray and what you do from there. Um, so I'm going to turn it over to the team. So guys, what do you think? Where, <laughs> how bad are we talking about as far as inheriting? I think confidence level and the data tells you all, right? If your stakeholders don't believe in the data, then it's bad. And now you have both data issues and perception and quality and all that other fun stuff issues. Yeah. And it can get bad, right? I mean, I've seen I've seen bad, but I think it can get probably worse than than I could even imagine. Um, <laughs> and I've worked with some systems that are are pretty good, um, but they've taken a lot of work to get there. So, uh, um, what type of type of data quality are we talking about? Are we talking about you know confidence level fifty percent? Are we talking about worse? Worse. Worse. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> So that's, that's a heck of a place to start. So what do we do? What, what are our steps? What's the first thing that we would probably want to do to get moving in the right direction? For me, it would be defining a, a narrow scope of CI classes that we want to, uh, we want to take on. It, whether you call it the Pareto principle, let's just do something well, especially mm-hmm. when we think of the common service data model services data model, we know it's gonna feed APM and your services. Let's do that, let's do some of it well. And some of that CI class choice may be, which of those CI class owners do we think will really adopt and help us along this journey? Cause we need their buy-in as well. And you know, maybe it's just infrastructure to begin with and we do laptops and IOT later, but it's something of that nature. Sorry to jump in guys. No, so we start, are you saying start small and kind of move from there? I would I'd probably try to take the 80%, maybe the servers, databases, networking, 
cloud if you can easily, uh, things of that nature that we can and not in every environment, everybody wants to add one plus on you, right? You know, you do, you do, you do most of the databases and then somebody's got one offs and, you know, it's, it's like, how do we do set the foundation well and then do the others in future iterations? Anybody disagree or agree with that? Randy? <laughs> no, I agree. I think that um, you always want to start small and, uh, you know, that's where you usually see the bad seem to be uh, gets how they get started is you turn on your tool and, and just take everything in that could possibly be out there or your, um, you know, your manager or your C-suite wants to see everything tomorrow, you know, or today. And, and so everybody scrambles to try to jump in and, and add all of the things to the dashboards and to the databases and everything like that in order to please people uh, rather than stopping and standing back and saying, okay, what's tactical, what's functional, um, what, you know, what can we do that's going to create value without destroying value? And, you know, the, what I've seen with you know, some of the CMDBs we've talked about, because we talked about in the past, you know, we haven't seen to be where discovery was turned on for years and, and no, uh, it was in service now and no uh, management of that being done. You know, there's absolutely no value in that data. Um, it, once it's stale, there's no value in it. It's just clutter that, that confuses people. And so, you know, you see people jump in and, and um, trying to please everybody without thinking, how do we make it to where we're building it right, where we're, going to get value out of it from day one and we can add value as we move forward. Also maybe how it helps your other processes too. And just, you know, go from, uh, you know, however you define value, maybe what your business, what your C-suite, what your other processes need. Yeah. Right. Well, I think too often what we don't focus on is looking at it in two ways. One is, okay, so what data do I want? What, data do I need to track? Where do I start? And then the other way is how do I keep it up? How do I maintain it? If you're maintaining it manually, that's not a good option. So you really have to look at it and say, okay, you know, what are my processes going to be? And even if it is maintained manually, that's possible, but you have to have a very well-defined process. You have to have process owners. You have to have people responsible for it. You have to make sure that Everything is taken into account before you even get started. Step one, day one, what with, with what I need. So, uh, with with bringing anything in anyway. But Jason, wouldn't you also even if you you have that, you're going to have some attributes that are manual, that are people, you know, your people data, your operational status. Some of that's yeah. going to have to be uh, remediated and kept up on a you know, by a human, not by technology. And so getting that buy-in early will help because yeah. I have stories and you guys do too, where operational status was off and, you know, it creates havoc within an organization. And I say that, or the people data signs tickets to somebody that's no longer there, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we should take uh, a small step back and maybe define what a bad CMDB looks like. You know, uh, we talked yeah. about bad data confidence and things like that, but you know, what are the hallmarks of of a bad CMDB? So that if someone were trying to diagnose what their health of their CMDB is, uh, CMDB, what are some things that they could look at look for? Well, don't you look at completeness versus compliance on your audit, right? Mm-hmm. And so. 
I always use, there's two things I always use. Completeness means like an Excel spreadsheet, every box is filled in. It could be bad, but it could be filled in. Compliance is, is, the, is that data right? And then when we look at the health, you know, at what percent are you happy with? And then work backwards. Is that what you're thinking, Randy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I always like to throw duplication in there, but of course that comes with complete error, uh, with compliance. But duplication is something that's a huge issue a lot of times, um, especially if you're bringing in data from multiple sources. You, you got to be really careful to make sure to manage that correctly and not have... Uh, a lot of duplication in there, especially when you're talking about duplication of relationships. Um, I know we talk about CI, CI is duplicating them, but duplicate relationships can cause a different kind of havoc and make sure those relationships are well-defined and they are really, um, they're not that kind of duplication either. Cause that, that could be a problem. Oh yeah. One thing that I've seen also that makes really dirty CMDBs is people not doing the follow-up for like retirement or end of life kind of stuff. And so they just, the, the stuff gets added in and now your CMDB is just growing because they're not taking the old stuff out. So there's always that too. Oh yeah. So staleness for sure. Staleness. Yep. Sorry, Randy. I was going to say, I've seen the other side of it too, where something's live and they never really onboarded it like, because the business owner didn't want to have the chargebacks or to be under change management or other things, right? So you, <laughs> yeah, know, you have CIs too. in your CMDB that really should be there and aren't. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Let's hide our devices so nobody else knows they're there, but they're more important than we know. Yeah. Oh, I've, I've seen that. And, yeah. Okay, I'll stop there. <laughs> well, I mean, we things, those things come to light pretty quick whenever you know your data center goes down and you're trying to bring things back up. You start you start discovering you know all the hidden phantom apps and things like that that your company's running on that you didn't realize that it was running on before. It, yep. <laughs> why is this running on? Why is this all running on an access database? <laughs> oh God. <laughs> Oh, I hit a nerve there with Kathy. I know I did. Yeah. <laughs> or a cloud instance that the business spins up and, and IT or someone else doesn't even know it has, right? Yeah. Of that nature as well. And so usually security is one of the biggest uh, uh, stakeholders in a positive way to help you in those regards, I think. Mm-hmm. So, Kathy, I know you've seen it go mm-hmm. bad. And I, uh, yeah, and I noticed- well, <laughs> definitely walked into it bad. Uh, so what, so, what did you do to kind of help? I don't know that I did very much, but um, <laughs> I tried. It was so I, I think that um, what I tried to do to help is to get um, my, my resources were fairly limited, but I tried to get um, the the SMEs to be able to identify what it was. It was a smaller team. You know, they had, it was a very lean organization and they did the, well, let's just turn discovery on and see what it does methodology. And then they ended up generating, I mean, it wasn't a massive organization with a whole lot of data or a whole lot of devices, at least in their corporate facility. Um, but yet they still had 
like, I don't know, 700,000 configuration items, which was really excessive considering the size of the organization. Um, and so I was trying to not only that they had a lack of education on what a CMDB was supposed to accomplish. And they're like, well, we just want everything. And I'm like, I don't really think that you do. Um, I don't think that you understand what everything really means whenever you are looking at it from what discovery will pull in for you. Um, and so my task there was not only trying to determine what it is that they needed to be able to account for from an ITIL perspective and from a change management and compliance perspective, but also educating their people on what is a CMDB for? What are we supposed to use it for? What, it, what should it accomplish? What do we really need to see? Um, and then trying to refine it back from there. Jason, you're on mute. Yeah, sorry. I said I find it difficult at times to, uh, because if you don't have the buy-in from the CIO from the top and understand what they need uh, in order to to get done what you need to get done after it gets to your desk. Because if they don't understand it or they don't know it or they don't see a need for it or don't understand the need for it, or, um, you know, I've even had organizations say, why do we even need this? We don't, we don't, we don't use it for anything. And it's like, well, you do, you just don't understand what you're using for. Um, and so having those educational, conversations with the executive leadership, not just, not just, you know, uh, directors, but the CIOs and the VPs and really get people to understand what it's used for and get their buy-in. Cause otherwise I don't, I don't think you ever get a really stable, well thought out, um, you know, well done system. The other thing on what care work Kathy is, is her leadership didn't, I don't even know yeah, the situation, but the leadership didn't understand that the more CIs you have, the more it costs you in time and energy to keep it up, right? Yeah. 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 What is your maintenance burden? Right. And it was, it was a challenge for sure to try to, um, a get an audience with the right people. Um, you you talk about executive leadership. Well, I didn't really wasn't able to have an audience with the executive leadership at that time um, to help them to better understand and to be a driving force about behind what it is that we were trying to achieve with their CMDB. They were just like, well, they they kept saying, well, you're the expert, and I'm like. Right. Okay. <laughs> I get that. But at the same time, I'm not the expert of your infrastructure. So you have right. to help me help you. I think we talked about that the last time we met up. We talked about that, you know, the business and IT don't always communicate in the same languages. And, you know, I think that IT sometimes um, 
operates in a vacuum when it comes to leadership, expecting leadership to lay out things that they don't understand they need to lay out. And then leadership comes in and they hire IT people and they have that attitude, well, you're the expert, you should figure it all out without my input. And everybody's kind of trying to push the easy button rather than uh, <clears throat> rather than doing the hard stuff. So I think, I mean, number one, it, I think it goes back, number one, to the education and policies. Um, that's the very first step in a, in a foundation for a good CUNDB, in my opinion, is um, you know, if the if management doesn't know what a CMDB is or what it's used for, then you don't need one. Um, you're going to cause more problems and then you're going to get benefit out of it. Um, and at the same time, um, if they do know what it is, but you've got horrible policies for managing stuff as it is, um, you don't want to automate those because all you're going to do is get, you know, if you've got junk policies that are creating junk, all you're going to do is make junk faster. And, and you don't want to do that. Uh, I mean, and sometimes it's fun, but you don't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I agree. Have you all I, I will been, say, oh, go ahead, Jason. No, go ahead. I was just going to ask you, have you all ever been a part of organizations that had a governance body, like a configuration control board over the CMDB that like broad representation, things of that nature? We've been a part of some, well, I, I can speak for myself. I've been a part of some that tried. Uh, that we're trying to set that up, that um, <clears throat> a lot of the consulting I've done has been in companies that were on the cusp of going from, you know, being the world's biggest mom and pop to being a grown-up organization. Um, and, uh, or I say grown-up, but to being the, the acting like an organization that's the size they are. You I mean, once you hit a certain threshold, you have to change things. Things can't be as informal as they were. And uh, so I've been in a lot of companies where they've been going past that barrier from we're an informal organization that everybody kind of knows where everything's at. Everybody kind of knows what all the CIs are and all the important things are to now we're an organization that uh, we've got more stuff and more people than we, you know, not everybody knows everybody, not everybody's been to the everybody's house and, you know, stuff like that. And um, so I've tried to set those boards up and they've tried to, to set that up, but there's been, you know, it, it's been very rocky, I think, for, you know, a lot of those. And what, there's two advantages. So one thing that's good about it is you can get broad representation and you can approve form changes and all that other stuff. And the other thing it does and for your developers and your technical SMEs is it gets them out of being the gatekeeper, right? Because it allows them not to be the bad guy or the bad girl and it allows them to be, the, okay, this is, we all made this decision. We're all going to live with it. You know what I mean? And yeah. so it's one of those things that it's, it, people do it poorly when it's in too small of an organization and probably do it too late in a big organization. Yeah. yeah. Now, now, now keep in mind, I'm still going to be the bad guy. For some reason, I'm always the bad guy. Cause I'm like, <laughs> I don't recommend you doing that. I don't want to say that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard, but I recommend that we don't do that, <laughs> you know, and, and, but that's, unfortunately, that's just the way it is. But I will, I will tell you, that's a great idea. I haven't been really with an organization that did that, but it does sound like something that would be really great. I'm all for governance that's independent to get people out of the middle. So it's a we decision, not a me. Um, and to allow your business stakeholders to address what Randy was saying, get them closer to the table so we can do things that align with what they're trying to do. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I like it. I like getting there to be more of a collaborative environment. But at the same time, I'll tell you, I've been in places where there's been too much of a collaborative environment where um, it's it's every, we have a consensus for every decision. And, and what that means is no decision ever gets made uh, or no decision is ever mm-hmm. permanent. And that's caused, you know, I, I've seen hundreds of thousands of dollars wasted on projects uh, because of that. I've been in those situations too. It's usually the lack of somebody, the culture's not there for people to step out and make a decision, right? Yeah. I've also seen it be really bad when, when everything has to go up to a single governing body. Um, I've been in a, in, in a, in a uh, university style where everything had to go to the, the board of director or to the, uh, oh, the trust board of trustees, or I forget what they call it now, but it's, it was a group of people that made decisions that have no idea anything about it. And they made this decision for everything that happens in the organization. And that was such a bad idea uh, because they literally had no idea. So they're going, how much is it? <laughs> you know, oh, that sounded cool. Let's do that one. You know, and so they didn't really have the the background to make the decisions. And the thing I like about the what you're talking about is you're talking about buy-in from areas that should know what they're doing and areas of IT that ha- should have an input to how that ha- is handled in, in the CMDB. Yeah, like CI class owners, and uh, you know they you want them at the table. You want your business, but you know it's it's just one of those things that not every organization it's it works, but it allows them to move faster. Like, what metrics do you want? How do you add scope later? You know, we want to add these attributes. Who makes that call? And you know, it's you know we want to add this attribute, or we want to turn on discovery for this. You know, and it's that kind of thing is. How do we how do we able enable things to move faster? And the one thing about the configuration control board is it's where change management. If you look in the old ITIL books, intersects with with configuration management, where it said configuration control in the change management uh, books, and so it's where that intersects. Now I sat on one of those one of those boards, um, and we had stakeholders from we we didn't use discovery so we had stakeholders from our primary discovery tools Um, and then we had people that were CI I don't want to say class owners because they weren't responsible for the whole class but they were responsible for that particular class maybe in the location that they were managing over Um, because we had you know, several different data centers um, and different groups over those devices in the data center. So we would have a server admin for our location and and one for another location. And they were all kind of, they were more responsible for the classes within their realm. But um, we were basically the kind of the control like who uh, who saw who oversaw those classes? Um, who got we used certification tasks, which I've mentioned in previous podcasts about um, how we utilize those and that they were very useful for our benefit because we were able to then get people that knew more about the infrastructure that they were deploying to um, then ensure that the correct people were. 
assigned to support them, that the right groups were assigned to them. Um, it was, it wasn't a totally manual process, but it was probably like 80% discovered 20% manual because we didn't use discovery. We had a lot of control over what got into our CMDB. And even though it wasn't perfect from a relationship perspective, and we couldn't really benefit from some of the other areas in ServiceNow because we didn't have discovery, it, um, it kept our CMDB really clean though. Um, I was in one environment where we were doing the CMDB deployment or we were re redoing the CMDB <laughs> deployment, as happens a lot. Um, and we started the committee like that. It worked great whenever we were doing things. But as soon as we got all their stuff configured and everything, those people in the committee decided, hey, it's working. It's up. Let's just not do this anymore. So the committee went away and things went down. So the committee's great if you can keep it going, <laughs> if you can keep people interested in it. That's well, true. I, I mean, the only one. Go ahead, Kathy. Oh, I was going to say we were we would lose a lot of people because we had a lot of um, a lot of rifts, <laughs> and we would end up losing a lot of people that were on our committee and ended up getting reorganized in a million different ways. So our committee was always um, changing. I mean, I think that at the end of it, me and my manager were the only people when well he and he was gone whenever I left so it was really me <laughs> the, last person, the last standing person last person on the CMDB me. committee <laughs> it, it does it does not it doesn't fit every organization it's that balance of bureaucracy versus governance right and it's it's how do we how do we use it to enable outcomes not bog it down in red tape yeah, yeah and and I and I agree wholeheartedly in the that kind of process oriented, um, you know, and bringing that to a committee to make decisions that have people that have good input. With that being said, I'm also a big fan of automation. So if we can automate it, if we can bring it from a discovery source, if we can do those things, I tend to do those first and then take that 20% and build processes around what those 20% is needed. Yeah. But you would want to use that 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 board to to approve those integrations, right? Or that automation, right. so that they understand. Here are the attributes on your form. These are discoverable. These are not. We want to, you know, let them be. And so it's kind of like whenever you're talking CI/CD and change management and all that, it's it's approving the the spirit of the law. Maybe not each each little piece of it, right? Every time that makes an integration and you move things from SCCM over to the CMDB, you don't need to run it through that board, right? I mean, for how soon, how often discovery runs or, you know, that's not that. It's like, how do we control what's on the form, attributes, things of that great, integrations, all that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. All right, guys. So we're going to take a quick break, uh, pay the bills, and uh, listen to our sponsor. So give us just a minute, and we'll be back, and uh, we'll continue this wonderful discussion about CMDB. Hang on just a minute. All right. We are back. Um, this is, again, Jason Gibson. Uh, we have uh, Jeffrey, Randy, Kathy, Justin, Brent still with us, so we're all still here. Um, I, <laughs> I wanted to ask a question. Uh, have you guys – had issues with um, 
people understanding the difference between ITOM and CMDB. Uh, I often find that what, what's happening in, in a lot of the organizations is they go, well, we want a CMDB, but we want it to do this. And I go, well, that's ITOM. <laughs> you know, we want it, we want it alerts, uh, but and, you know, and we want to run it. And then they get frustrated because they think that CMDB is something that it's not. It's magical. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yes, it is. But not only that, but you even get into it with APM or or mapping services, right? You know, like mapping services is an art more than a science. It's very technical, but you also need somebody that knows how to, with the paintbrush, draw things together. But you're right, though, because they think, hey, it's in the data center. It's got to be CMDB for your ITOM. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and for me, you know, my problem has been budgetary. So, you know, they say, well, you own CMDB and they say, well, I wanted to do this. Uh, and I say, well, I appreciate that, but it doesn't do that. That's ITOM. And they want to build it. Like I go, well, just, it, you, you can create that. Right. And they want to build on. And, and I can't tell you how many times, you know, that, I'm integrating over and over and over with alerting tools that are sending alerts to service now that are incidents, creating incidents that really, let's be honest, they're not really incidents. So I think that it, it's a, it's a failure. Uh, and I don't know if it's a failure on the service now side or a failure just of understanding but do you guys think that CMDB and ITOM should be sold together instead of having it in the ITSM suite? Probably, but you get the same thing with Ham and Sam over on the asset side. Yes. Yeah. ServiceNow split it up so they can make more money, and you have leadership that goes and reads something or was told something in a conference, and they're saying, I want it all, and then you're saying, but it, you're going to get all the cart pricing on each, and you don't realize how much it's going to cost. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that CMDB from an ITIL perspective still belongs in the ITSM suite because ultimately CMDB is what controls your, your change management. Right. I mean, the, the pieces that the relationships and the service mapping and the orchestration and all of that stuff that you get with ITOM is great, but your bottom the bottom line of ServiceNow really is that it's an ITIL facilitating tool, right? And so that's your ITSM suite. And CMDB is the foundation of that in a lot of ways and will help support those applications. And the ITOM is like kind of having the whipped cream and the cherry on top of your sundae. It's not the <laughs> ice cream right that you really bought the whole thing for it's it's all the accessories you buy service now so that you can track your stuff right absolutely and i completely agree i think it's in the right place don't get me wrong it's just very frustrating because the reality is uh to do your seem to be right i really think you need icom and and maybe i'm wrong but it, it just seems like that is uh a constant thing that comes up uh, in we're doing a refresh of the CMDB and it's like, no, remember mm-hmm. we don't have event hub. We don't have orchestration. We don't, or, uh, we don't have event monitoring. We don't have all those things. And right. the over and over it keeps coming up. 
From a service now perspective, I would agree that maybe it's displaced in regard to where the rest of their um, applications are in their stacks from a benefit of the tool perspective. From But from a general how you want to run your organization perspective, the CMDB really should be tied to your service management piece because then you know what's being changed, you know what's broken, you know what has problems, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I guess I look at it as a progression, right? Having a CMDB gets you kind of there. Having ITOM, mm-hmm. having discovery, having all those other tools at your disposal, having you know real insight into what's going on with your systems with alerting and that kind of management of that side of things feeds so wonderfully into the service management side of things. And that's what I, I will tell you that it's just amazing to me is it's constantly doing that. And, and it, it's every single piece <laughs> of ServiceNow does this. It adds to every single piece of ServiceNow. But even like the knowledge side, I was going to pile on and support Kathy here, but even like the knowledge piece with runbooks tied to CIs, right? I mean, yeah. that's a benefit. Or now I'm not going to mention, you know, there's some add-ons that allow you to do business continuity tied to specific CIs. And so having that tied in on the service management piece is awesome. Now, to your point, Jason, it'd be, it'd be great if it was easier to connect to the ITOM without having to go, for uh, Kathy's example, without having to, you know, go buy some whipped cream and cherries. You know, it'd be nice, yeah. if, it'd be nice if it was just able to do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we said it one, I think it was two times ago, that service now is the poster child where you got to spend money to make money as far as it definitely is the way that things are packaged. Um, But I think that, I mean, the benefit there is there for your company if you do have all those integrations. Um, But we run into that, you know, the age old problem of, you know, you've got the the constraints of budget time and, and uh, scope that are always there. And, you know, how do you balance that? And, um, I like to start with scope. You know, I see so many people that don't ever, ever have a scope in mind for what they want. They just want something. They just want to, uh, you know, from a C-suite and I'm going to insult some people here. They just want a shiny button that says everything's okay or everything's not okay. And um, they don't want to mess with the details. And then, you know, that, that gets, you know, translated down uh, by everything that you see that, that at a, at a, trade show or something like that, that has shiny buttons. And, uh, you know, I, I worked at a company where I swear the, the, the owners went to trade shows and stuff started showing up at my office, you know, and, uh, you know, I get a call when they got a, when they got a delivery notification, they'd be like, Hey, is that implemented yet? And I'm like, what, what is what implemented yet? It's like, well, we bought this and supposed to do this, this, and this. And I was like, I don't know. It's sitting on the stack of the other five boxes from the last five trade shows you went to, you know, that, that we haven't started with. And I mean, it, it was literally, that's how, how things went. Um, and sadly in some organizations, the, the mentality hasn't changed. So I'm a big fan of locking everybody in a room with a whiteboard and saying, let's draw out what you want to see and what all it's going to connect to and figure out where our knowledge gaps are, where are, you know, do we even know what we're talking about one? And if we don't know what we're talking about, we need to bring someone in um, or go to some training or 
do a webinar or something like that, that at least we're all talking the same terms because um, we've been throwing around a whole bunch of acronyms, but I bet there's listeners that have no idea what the, some of those acronyms are. Um, you know, and, and you're going to find that in any boardroom, everybody's going to throw around the same acronym, but do they know if I say I Tom and you say I Tom, are we talking the same thing? Are we, are we envisioning the same thing? And, and I think, so I think communication, just my opinion, communication is the, is the bottom line. Um, it's how you start a bad CMDB. It's how you start a good CMDB. It's how you start a bad service now practice. It's how you start a good service now practice. Um, and uh, then setting the policies and uh, and stuff like that to layer on top of that. Uh, anyways, soapbox, I guess. Sorry. Yeah. No. No. I think. <laughs> well, I think that's that's it, right? So we're we've identified really kind of what a bad CMDB is, but how do we get a good CMDB? We've touched a couple of different areas. You know, whether it's processes, whether it's taking it small, going. You know. I also say go, you know, you don't, I, I say go slow, but that can mean different things to different people. I mean, be cautious, be careful, mm-hmm. um, be deliberate. Uh, you know, I keep telling my son when he runs across and falls about every 12 seconds over his feet, okay, so you gotta, you got to start being more deliberate in your actions. Well, there's no difference here. We're starting something we don't understand. We need to educate ourselves, and then we need to start. Um, we, we need to start small and be deliberate. And you, we've talked about bad, and we've talked about good. The one thing that I would think that needs to be included is some kind of measurement or metrics, so we know what's bad and we know what's good. And so, data quality to me is like your checkbook. If I told you your checkbook was seventy-five for. We have young listeners. They may not know what a checkbook is. But, <laughs> but, but yeah. Yeah. If your PayPal you, account. No. Yeah. <laughs> if I told you your your checkbook or your Venmo was 75% correct, would you think that's good or bad? And then right. if, if you think that's that, you go, hey, that's good. And then you go, whoa, whoa, whoa what's that other 25%? Right. <laughs> that's, the, that's the conversations we need to understand on our measurements, our metrics, all that stuff. What are we? How are we measuring it? How do we know what good looks like? All that fun stuff. And that's the start of a lot of arguments in marriage, right there. Yeah. <laughs> I think seventy-five percent. That's great. Don't worry about it. Yeah, you don't need to know where that other twenty-five percent went. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. It's usually yeah. in my tool chest. <laughs> yeah. It's usually right behind you in your office. <laughs> Uh, I just what, I just think that we need to talk about metrics and measurements, not in yeah. terms of uh, because some stuff, some of it comes straight out of the box, right? Great, but we also need to understand whether we educate the people that view it or change it to what it needs to be. You know, run it through some BI, but we need to be able to make sure everybody sees the same thing, understands it as the same thing, so they can see the incremental progress. That's how do you know where you're gonna, uh, yeah. Well, how do you know where you're gonna go, and how do you know when you've gotten there if you didn't measure it to begin with? Exactly. And you've got to start with a baseline. You got to know where that. What, you know your, you know you're bad, <laughs> right? So start there. What exactly does that mean? Uh, it could be 
confidence level from the end users from surveys. It could be, I mean, that could be added in as measurements on how well we're doing, you know, is confidence level, you know, and, and of course you have your, your standards, you, you know, as far as ServiceNow is concerned, um, it has its own measurements uh, in the CMDB dashboard that I would say, if you haven't seen the CMDB dashboard, go get a personal developer instance, go take a look at it. It will help you actually with making some of those decisions to move forward to make things better. Yeah. So some of the older uh, ServiceNow versions don't have as good of trending as they could. And that's why a lot of companies um, went to the practice of pushing that over to a BI tool so that they can see, let's say by CI class, how are they doing with their the aging of their audit tasks because their, their uh, information may be stale or whatever. And right. so to be able to trend it is a, is a nice to have just for political reasons. Oh, yeah. Yeah, if you're not, I like that you brought that up. If you're not measuring something, then you have no idea where you're going. You know, I mean, you, yeah. you just, there's no value in what you're doing. We, we, we talked about this, um, I think it was the same time when we talked about how that uh, too often IT is seen as just a cost center rather than a, a center of innovation or a center of um, uh, or a necessary center. You know, people don't question marketing and, and, and accounting as far as being necessary for the company. Um, and we talked about how you know, basically IT is just as integral to a company now as um, as it is. But we still, uh, as these other departments, but we still kind of live under that legacy of, uh, you know, IT used to be in the basement and and that was, they were just there to make accounting run better. Um, you know what I mean? And that was, that was the only uh, rule. And we also have to get over, I think, metrics as a dirty word. Um, and I've seen as a manager, a lot of resistance from time to time when you go out to, to show metrics where it's just, you know, Hey, they just want to, they want these metrics so that they can cut, cut people or they want these metrics so that they can do, um, you know, um, you know, cut corners or, or whatever. It's we we've got to get beyond seeing metrics as punitive and get to get to where we see them as being, um, you know, how we describe our value that we're adding. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, and I think I've mentioned that even as early as um, you know when we talked about road mapping at one point. Yeah. You know, when when we're road mapping, we don't we have to know where we're going. We have to have an end in mind and we have to know where we're at today. And then we gotta know how we're gonna get there. And 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 so combined with the road mapping, you know, if you have that that real strategic that that strategy of here's my roadmap, here's where I'm at, here's the metrics to measure where I'm at here's what's going to be where we're going and here's how I'm going to measure being successful. And then moving forward from there and having leadership buy-in in that, you'll be successful. I mean, you will be successful if you take that kind of approach and you get it to leadership. But not only that, Jason, but if leadership agrees that you're successful if you hit X and now you're measuring towards it and you hit X, mm-hmm. it's a lot easier to get funding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, you know what I mean? Because oh, yeah. it, it, it has to be broad leadership, not your boss, because what happens if they leave or whatever. But right. I meant, though, you get this agreement, business, everybody. If we hit X, your confidence level will be higher, right? Yes, yes, yes. And walk them through. And then 
as you, that's what I was getting with trending, you know, yeah. you may move from a 59% to an 82 or 83%. And as you're like hit 70, you go, look how far we've come. I know we got this much more to go, but you need to have faith in us. We need your support, boss, all that kind of stuff, because we need to be able to continue to make those pro- that progress. And with that being said, don't be ridiculous. You're never going to have 100%. Right. Just understand that is not attainable. 100% is not something that is you're, that you're going to ever see in your lifetime. It's not something I will ever see in my lifetime. So that's not the goal you want to be at. 90% confidence level, 95% confidence level, I mean, that would be insanely impressive. Um, so, you know, when it comes down to it, you want it to have, uh, have your goals that you're putting in place and your measurements be realistic in, in where you can get to. And even on that, Jason, you don't want to agree that if we can get 85 and now you bust your tail and you're at 85 and boss says, hey, next year's performance goals, I want you to be at 95. You know what I mean? You want to have those. <laughs> mm-hmm. You guys have been there, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's true. Yeah. You want those agreements ahead of time just so you don't, uh, you don't fall into that, get sucked into that trap. Yeah. But it is also about the confidence of the user base and the business stakeholders. Mm-hmm. So when a change comes through or and, and you say it's not going to impact you because, you know, you look up CNDB and see all the relationships that they have faith in, it, you know, or an incident to one one part of the data center versus another. You want to be able to build up that, uh, you know, that confidence. Yeah, I think that both sides of the equation need to over communicate in the beginning. Um so that they build that confidence as, you know, as they're moving forward rather than, you know, I want a button here, show me, you know, make my screen light up when everything's good or something like that. You know? Scrolling banners, yeah. flashing scrolling banners. Go back to the eighties. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. So, what else? What else is, do you guys have any other kind of metrics that you use um, that would indicate when you're there, when when you're successful? How do you how do you go? How do you measure that? What does that look like for you guys? I'll give you one that's way outside the box, way outside the norm, is the ability to find changes for all of the CI uh, change in status, change in attributes. For that, because that means that somebody's following your process because you have a change request for it. Yeah, I think it's good metric. Uh, yeah, you know what I'm saying because it runs yeah, and it runs and it goes and looks for the change. Not to be you know talk too low, but it's looking for that. And so if it can't find that change, then we aren't doing what we're supposed to. Yep. Uh, on the same. Yeah. That's- I mentioned the trending as well, but the trending, I like movies. I don't like snapshots. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's what you're ultimately going for when it comes to, you know, incident and problem management is the trending so that you can, you know, when do I convert this to a, to a problem versus an incident? And um, maybe we ought to stop buying that model because the trend says it sucks or something like that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, those are the things you're looking for to get value out of the CMDB anyways. Yeah, absolutely. How about also uh, man or woman hours that have to maintain it? Yeah. 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 
Well, and that comes to people like Justin who are doing the development side of it. How many times have you been told just they want everything to run without any manual work? Uh-huh. Good luck with that. <laughs> right? <laughs> especially, but especially with like operational status, that's the one that's been, that's sneaky important to most people. Mm-hmm. They don't realize that if I call this server decommissioned and the, the build team goes and pulls that IP address and sticks on a new server. Yeah. That's bad news, you know? Yeah. Yeah. We had, I, we had, I worked at a company where I was second week I was there is in the uh, networking team and uh, the executive assistant needed a printer added and uh, there was no, there was no ports and we were about to move to a new building. So they're like, we're not, we don't want to run new cable or anything like that. So, Bosses were out of town. They called me and they said, just grab a switch out of the closet and and plug it in. You know, I was like, okay, well, you know, I've been in IT for a long time at this point. I'm fairly confident. Went and go plug the switch in. Um, don't think anything about it. Go to lunch a little bit later in the day. You know, um, somebody just happens to say, you know, hey, you know, our phone system's having all sorts of problems. And uh, so then I start trying to investigate and, and figuring out what the problems are. And we had no cohesive ticketing system so there were no trends to show that all of a sudden the phone stopped working and a lot of people started having problems with the phone system uh well long story short the switch that i put in used to be the primary had the it address that used to be um uh, or that the current phone controller ip address was and so there became a conflict and uh, half of our inbound calls were now going to a switch that was running a printer rather than the switch that was running uh, the phone system. And uh, that's all because we didn't have any visibility whatsoever into what was going on, uh, you know, in our, in our deal. It's, it was, it turned out to be like an eight hour problem that could have been, a, you know, avoided completely if, uh, if there was good records and good, just what you're talking about, you know, pulling a, you know, in that case it was decommissioned, uh, but no one ever went and verified that the config had been reset or anything like that before they put it back in inventory. Um, and so, yeah, just those kind of problems, they will create many dollar sign issues later on down the road when they're just simple little problems to fix if, you're, if you've got a good procedure and a good policy in place. And just for Randy's reputation's sake, that was many years ago. <laughs> yeah, it was many years ago. Hey, but, you know, that was my initiation. I, always, I was always told that it, by IT people that you're not really truly in IT until you brought an entire company down once. So... <laughs> Been there, uh, yeah. By that day, yeah, yeah. I, I'm, yeah. I'm really, really, really into IT. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, we've all made lots of mistakes. That's yeah. that's why we're on the podcast is because we uh, <laughs> we're we're not ashamed to to admit all of the the things that we have done that were bad. Yeah, maybe not all of them. Well, not you anyway. <laughs> uh, the five year statue. Uh, Five years isn't up, so I can't tell you everything yet. Yeah, yeah, wait, we gotta gotta wait a couple of years for that one. <laughs> yeah, Jason, oh, guys, you mentioned well, metrics. Mm-hmm. Also, I was gonna say the audit tasks and aging on the audit tasks is another great metric. You know, to back up, just in case people don't know it, I know you guys do, but we put these rules in place that say, you know, we need to be able to assign an incident ticket to someone and if that's if we can't then because they're gone then we need to fix the cmdb or if you know big clean up the data or something we're sending these audit tasks to someone and those are aging 
poorly or too long, then that's probably a metric that we need to make sure that we understand or adjust those rules to fit expectations. How many of you uh, have gotten the question, I've been getting these weird tasks and and they're out there and they're called audit tasks. Uh, What are those? Uh, Listen, half the time they're not even configured in the, in the instance people don't know how or what to use them. Do you guys like using those a lot? The bigger the enterprise, yes, because it allows an organization to focus and to route those accordingly. Yeah, because it's it's got to change as you grow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But but the problem is, if you're a mid-sized company, that same person's getting all the incident tasks, all the change tasks, all the tasks, all the tasks, and you don't want to kill them, right? Right. Right. Yeah. At the same time, you, you have to be able to right-size that, and you want it to go to a group, not a person, you know, all those fun stuff, so they can work it on a queue, especially with today's, what's that word, geographically dispersed workforce. Yeah. You want to be able to, uh, you know, handle that at a group level. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. All right, guys. This has been this has been a lot of fun. What what, what do you guys have? Uh, what else is going on? Is there anything else you guys want to want to talk about or cover in this episode? I would just say the integrations that you led with, Jason, on automations and integrations also will save a lot of time. They just need to be agreed to. It. It's an investment that mm-hmm. costs you. Oh, it costs you capital up front to be able to build those, but they're an investment. And they need agreement at the front end because it saves you that ongoing maintenance over time. You know, whether it's solar winds or SCCM or whatever it is, integrations will help your CMBB because your network team may say, I want to do all my work in solar wind. And now, you know, they don't want to keep up two systems, things like that. Have those kind of conversations. I agree, but one caveat is make sure that the data you're getting is uh, good data and not dirty data yeah that yeah because yeah, if they're like yeah if they're manually or not updating or manually updating the solar winds uh, and they don't have a process in place so make sure even if you're um if you're having those conversations they're like oh well you just, we just want you to pull it from solar winds you still need to have the conversation okay where are you getting the data how secure is it? are you getting it from a scan are you getting it from you know a client what are you getting the data from um, and if they go well you know we we manually enter that every once in a while that's probably not a good process <laughs> well it can be a good process as long as they have a documented and well be, um, not behaved uh, well followed process yeah. uh, if you have one person on the team doing it one way and six other ways from these other people then no it's not a good good process if they all put it in the same way manually and you're importing it at least that data is going to be clean and updated as long as they follow that process yeah. the other thing i would say is that for anybody that's listening or whatever is the more attributes and the more ci classes the more time and expense and so people need to make sure they they you don't need every attribute that's available to you i see randy shaking his head but yeah. Do you agree with that, Randy? I just I see people trying to do it all, and oh, it's yeah. a it's a what fits well with your organization and how much effort you want to spend. Yeah, I agree. I mean, every piece of data that you put into the system, um, 
is a piece of data that has to be maintained. Uh, it has a life cycle. And I think Kathy brought it up uh, on a previous one that, you know, also when you throw those extra records in, you're impacting the performance of your systems as well. Yeah. So you gotta, I think everything needs to be, we, it, the problem with CMDB that I see with most people is discipline and it, it takes discipline to do it right. And, and it's kind of what we're talking about here. And um, it's worth it though, to take the discipline up front to, to justify I need this attribute because this attribute is going to help me with this or this, you know, um, some of them, you know, even if it's, even if it's something that you think, well, that's a default, of course, everybody needs to know that uh, still in your data definition document or whatever you're using to, to track that um, um, have a column that says it's because of this, you know, we need it because of this. Cause you know, I think I said it before, you don't need to know the color of the server. Um, so, you know, don't track that kind of stuff. Um, unless of course, your whole knock and your disaster recovery system is based on the color of the servers. And that's the ones that you replace first or something like that. If, if that's in, if that's the case, let me know because that would be funny. Um, that's, that's actually not a bad idea though. If you have like a whole section, that yeah. the racks, you paint the racks green, maybe not paint them, but you have some, <laughs> like this is green rack, which means 2020 is when we installed the, the hardware. I will say that in a lot of networking places, we do use different color cat cable to delineate. You know, this is um, this is connections between switches. This is connections to servers. This is connections back out to clients. And uh, this is secure VLANs and things like that. So um, it's not as outlandish as I guess. Well, you do that for power too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I would say, yeah, um, oh, go ahead, Gabby. Oh, I was going to say that this this may lead to a whole other podcast topic, but I really believe, based on my experience at least, that the success of your CMDB is directly correlated to the maturity level of your organization. Mm. If you have an organization that and like i said this could lead to a whole other <laughs> a whole other hour long conversation <laughs> but you know if if you're real with yourself and you know and you look at standard maturity levels and you're like okay well this is where we're at then a lot of times those really immature organizations that don't have a lot of processes don't have um or their processes are completely crazy um, their CMDB, if they have one at all, is going to be very reactive like they are. Yeah. Which is what I saw at yeah. least in the last time I managed a CMDB. Um, you know, they, they just went and, yeah. well, we have this tool. Let's just run it and see what it does in production. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> well, so, uh, I've also seen it where it's, uh, you know, the process was if we have a major incident around it, then we need to track it. To Kathy's point, not everybody thinks their baby's ugly. Some people yeah. think they're, uh, they're, they're mature <laughs> and, and it's not right. You know, and you need to walk in the MMI and say, yeah. can we do this repeatedly? Cause you all have been there where people go, Oh, we're yeah. the best thing since sliced bread. Oh, and, oh yeah. And it's, yeah. and it's, you're just like, are you sure? 
you know. <laughs> is that yeah. when you get sources is when they want to tell you you have an ugly baby? <laughs> <laughs> hey, I have two teenagers. I don't like going there too much. <laughs> no, I still got you. I guess I still got young ones. They're still cute. We give them time. Um, <laughs> anyway, with you know, with I tell uh, I Tom seem to be all of that stuff. Um, it's not an IT problem. It's a company problem, and um, you know, people have to get out of that mindset that it's something that IT runs on its own. Um, it may be, you know, ITIL stands for information technology, but it is a company-wide issue because everything is so integrated. You know, it's it's not going to be just one person that can't use a spreadsheet if, you know, if something major goes down. Uh, IT is integrated in everything. So, uh, really, you've got to think about all of these things holistically uh, from the beginning. And that's that's the beginning of going from being an immature organization to being a more mature organization is everybody having a seat at the table and, and, and having uh, their voice represented uh, when it comes to, you know, these different areas of the business. So, Randy, would you take that a step further that everybody's got to be able to look at their stuff and say it may not be where I want it to be as well? Oh, yeah, so, absolutely. I think, um, you know, I'll just – and this, this is another – Thing that I'll get on a soapbox on if I'm not careful, but pride is the enemy of progress, um, and pride is the enemy of profit. So that's right. Yeah, I think that if you think that you've made it, then that's your biggest problem. Yeah, you know, it's it's everybody always has room for improvement, mm-hmm. even if you think that you are at a level five maturity based on your processes they still can probably be improved upon. I mean, depending on what standards you're going off of, what is your, what's your failure rate? You know, I mean, how often are you, you could pull in all these statistics and use a lot of, you know, Six Sigma type stuff, you know, to determine your, um, your productivity and efficiency levels. But at the same time, it's like, if you can't, if you get to the point where you're like, well, I think, I think we're fine. I think we've made it. Then that's that's at the point that you start failing. Yeah, bells should go off in your head. Usually people say, I think we have it to a point that I don't want to spend more money to make incremental progress. <laughs> now that I get, right? Yeah. Got that, it to the point okay. to where it's going to cost me, you know, the the decreasing marginal uh, returns because yeah. it's like the big thing of popcorn at the movie theater that we can't go to now. You know, by you're halfway through there, it doesn't taste as well, as, as good. And it's the same yeah. thing, right? Yeah. Well, and I, I do want people to understand that don't use that as a crutch or an excuse. So I, I, I was helping an organization that every, about every 12 seconds said, well, we're just not that mature. We just, you know, we're just not that mature. Well, okay, so we're trying to define a process here. We need to define the process as a mature process and and take our maturity up a level, not say, we're just not that mature, so we're going to do it this immature way. It, it's mm-hmm. not, it, you need to be striving to get better, not making excuses because it's hard. And that's basically what it is. It's hard. It's hard to make improvements. Uh, especially in a lot of organizations that have a lot of political uh, silos and, you know, things to that effect. But a lot of times that's what it is. 
I don't want to take the effort. I don't want to make the, to do the work and I don't want to spend the political capital it takes to, to make this process better. Instead, let's just settle for what we've got. And, and that's just, in my opinion, not, not, not acceptable. It makes sense. You spend half a million or a million or however much on a process automation tool. Let's not worry about the processes. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. I, like yeah. I said before, the tool's going to fix any stupid process, right? Oh, wait. No, it's the other just, way. <laughs> it does that automatically, Brent, right? Yeah. You yeah. plug it in. Just turn it on and it'll fix it. It'll fix it. It fixes yeah. everything. Yeah, service now turnkey, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. There was there was sarcasm behind my comment, by the way. <laughs> no, I, I completely got it. I'm just making Did sure the listeners have- know. <laughs> I think I've had to explain that before, uh, which Randy and Justin can probably attest to, um, where I was like, well, you know, it's really kind of a shell, and you have to build the process within the show and they're like no we thought this tool i'm like no that's not really how it works but okay yeah, it's, yeah for the listeners yeah. to train people to execute the process right because yeah. you know, the, the best process isn't going to be good at all unless people execute it at a pretty decent level yeah i'm like service now is not successful in selling three thousand dollar implementation specialist classes and certifications because you can just turn it on and it automatically fixes all your broken <laughs> stuff yeah, yeah. <laughs> well i think you know it's the age-old problem that you see where people just throw tech at people and process problems rather than taking the time to stop and, and do you know root cause analysis and actually figuring out where the problem is, is coming from. And I, to echo some of what Jason said, um, I, I'd say that to the smaller and, and medium-sized businesses, uh, don't discount the value of some of these frameworks just because you don't have the manpower or the budget to implement, say, ServiceNow or uh, something like that. It's worth going through and looking at them because I think that when you – um, if you don't start your business imagining what you would be like if you were a big company, you've put a cap on what you can do. And if you don't start your IT organization imagining what's it going to be like when we have 400 people or 500 people or 10,000 people, um, and you don't have those exercises every once in a while, then you're subconsciously limiting the ability of your company to adapt and grow. And so I think it's worth it, even if you're a five-person shop, to figure out what is ITIL. And, and just at least have it in, in the back of your back of your mind as you're building out, as you're growing, um, you know, a plan to grow toward. Um, it's just it's the same principle as when you're you're planting. If you, um, you know, you plant um, tomatoes, you put, you know, things for them to crawl up um, because, because you want to direct where they go. And then it's the same same process of growing a company, same process with growing an organization is, um, you know, put the rails in place uh, for people to, to move down and they'll go down them. And if, if you don't have those rails, if you discount the fact that you need those rails, uh, then when you are 100 people all of a sudden or 500 people all of a sudden, you're going to find that everybody's doing their own thing rather than uh, rather than working in concert. And then you get every exercise of becoming one of those places trying to grow up. Right. And then you're yeah. one of, it, it, your, your staff uh-huh. is going to have a, a morale issue. Well, maybe not if you're excellent at this, but I've gone through this twice in my career so far, and morale usually takes a pretty good hit. Productivity takes a hit. You know, you got to – it's pretty hard to go from mom and pop to suddenly, uh, you know, using a seem to be in change. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. Right. 
Well, and I find that it's, it's, uh, with that being said, you want to be able to say, okay, I don't want to, for the organization to feel those. And we call them growing pains, right? And, and how many times, oh, they're just going through growing pains. No, you didn't structure it right to begin with. And that's why you're going through some of them. Now, some can't be avoided, but you can avoid a bunch of those growing pains if you structure it correctly to, to grow, you know, with you. As a correlator to that, I'd say, you know, if you're a huge organization, don't discount the benefit of reviewing the basics from time to time as well. With metrics. Try to even assessing what you're measuring. But even assessing what you're measuring, right? Because you could be measuring the wrong things or have different expectations, wrong expectations. That's the only reason I bring up metrics is is those are going to mature like your process matures and your tools mature. I have a feeling you have stocks in metrics. <laughs> I will tell you this, Justin. I have lived a lot of painful lives at workforce-wise where things were not well-defined and, and you had varying expectations from all different people. And I had to bring people together and say, okay, now let's figure out what we're going to measure. Let's figure out what we're going to define success. Yeah. How soon are we going to reevaluate them? Because you all are... Uh, lot sharper than I am on the technical side, but having to deal with the political capital side of things, you have to have some common language and usually metrics is the same way. It's just like being a service provider, the magic, you know, four letters are SLAs, right? And so if you've been on the service provider side, and so it's the same thing is how do we get that common understanding? But I wish I could buy stock in it, Justin. (laughs) Yeah, right. You sold me on it. I'm in. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, it, is, it is good though you, you do have to reevaluate those from time to time I mean if Netflix was still measuring the number of DVDs mailed out that's probably a useless metric to them at the moment you know, <laughs> yeah, right. if your business evolves your metrics should evolve along with it yeah absolutely and your processes so I mean, if Netflix were evolving their business with current events, then they would turn off the "Are you still watching?" feature during. Quarantine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that is really annoying. Like, I've just got to tell you. Stop attacking me, Netflix. <laughs> okay. Well, they know who you <laughs> are. Judged. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm feeling judged. <laughs> just think, after the second donut, Kathy, they're like. Are you sure you know? You still watch it? Yeah. It's between the hours of eight and five. Are you sure you don't have a conference call to be on? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just, uh, just so you guys know that you Zoom for business, Zoom has that capability that if you're the organizer, you know who is not using Zoom as their primary uh, screen. I don't know if you all knew that or not. <laughs> and so if you use Zoom in a work environment, you can tell if somebody's really just nodding along and they're on a different screen, like social media or something of that nature. The real question is, does it show what? No. <laughs> I'm not going to ask you why you asked that question. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. I, no, I know why you asked that. No. <laughs> I'm just reliving a meeting I had many years ago. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I had a, I had a, I a guy back that, to that same meeting. <laughs> well, and, and and just to just just to apologize to everybody at the last meeting that we were at, I did leave my uh, my mic on as after the meeting was over. So 
I don't know what you heard, <laughs> but uh, but that was probably uh, you know. Uh, well, obviously, uh, the police in Oklahoma City or wherever you're located aren't very good. Let's just put it that way. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, well, you know. Uh, so, apologize, but it's not nearly as bad as the guy in the meeting we were at that was using the video who got up in his underwear. So, he was wearing a nice polo. He thought the meeting was over. Got up. <laughs> no pants. <laughs> yeah. hey, uh, hey, dude. Like, dude, dude really has Friday has a new meeting with Zoom meetings. That's when you hit record, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, have a, you have a viral video on your hand. <laughs> uh, well, you know. Yeah. Is it really that common that people are walking around their house naked? Like, I usually. <laughs> Well, I mean, you really want to know? Okay. I'm going to save my comment for after we stop recording. Yeah, Randy, right? Yeah. All right, guys. Well, it has been uh, way, way, uh, way, way past time. Uh, so thank you for joining us. Um, and uh, this will be coming out very soon. So I uh, like it, share it. Uh, it will uh, it, it will help us a lot. We want to get as much exposure as we can. Uh, the shares really do help. So please try and do that. And uh, uh, we do appreciate you guys joining us. Yeah, Jeffrey, thank you so much for being a part of it. Yeah, yeah pleasure to meet you. Thank you. Thank you, guys and lady. <laughs> thank right, you. We want to thank our flagship sponsor for this show, the Sharpstone Group, LLC. Sharpstone is your source for all of your ServiceNow needs. Implementation, development, administration, strategy, and architecture. Contact the Sharpstone Group today at info at sharpstonegroup.com or 405-594-0100. We'd love to answer your questions or have you on the show. Contact us at servicesharp at sharpstonegroup.com or find our LinkedIn info in the notes. Additional sponsorship opportunities are available.